Hey, folks, welcome to another episode of There's Just Something About Kansas City, where we talk about the people, places, and things that make this such a great place to live. You know, we're trying to get that chip off your shoulder here, Casey. You know what I mean? This is a great place. You don't have to worry about anywhere else in the country to live. This place is pretty doggone special. And, uh, so happy to have this guy with me in studio for the conversation today, Dayton Moore, former Royals GM and all-around good guy. Uh, how you doing? Good, Frank. How about you? <laughs> Everything's doing, good. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing great. How's the family? How's everybody yeah, doing? Everybody's good. You yeah, know, we're just plugging along and enjoying this next phase of our life. And um, but it's it's interesting. It's been a little bit of a transition for us, but uh, all in all, we can't complain. Yeah, yeah. We'll talk a little bit about yeah. that, but let's go back. A little bit, okay. Born in Wichita, yeah, right. And then you went to Moline, Illinois, I believe. Yeah. What what precipitated the move from from Wichita? You know, to, uh, you know, Frank. I, you know, my my mother grew up in a small town in South Central Kansas by the name of Coldwater, actually, which is um, oh, it's twelve miles uh, north of the Oklahoma line, west of Wichita, one hundred and seventy miles or so west of Wichita. Oh wow! And uh, my father. When he got out of the service, took a job with Beechcraft right there in Wichita. Mm -hmm. Well, my parents were introduced by some mutual friends, and, uh, you know, I was blessed to be born there, and uh, that began my love affair with the Kansas City Royals. My mother and my grandmother were great Royals fans, and and uh, and so, but as my father bettered our lives through aviation, he mm -hmm. was a uh, he worked in aviation. He started off as a as an airline mechanic. It was was the trade that he learned uh, in the Navy, mm -hmm. and uh, we bounced around a little bit. It was all good. It was for our learning, and uh, certainly we benefited from new places and meeting new people. And he was actually part of a group that uh, helped start Chautauqua Airlines, which uh, was located in Jamestown, New York. And yeah, James, Lake Chautauqua. Yeah, it's Lake Chautauqua. Right? Exactly. Yeah, right. It's just 90 yeah. miles, I think 90 miles uh, south of Buffalo, 45 miles north of Erie, Pennsylvania. It's a lot of winter, a lot of snow, <laughs> great for kids, not so much for, for parents because kids are, you know, get a little stir Kids crazy. don't care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. And so, uh, but my father, as he bettered our lives, we bounced around a little bit. He ended up in at Moline, uh, Illinois, mm -hmm. Quad Cities, uh, with Mississippi Valley Airlines. He became the director of maintenance there. Oh, wow. They, four years later, merged with uh, Air Wisconsin. He was in management, so he lost his job and then took a job with Air Specialel, which is an airline manufacturer, uh, manufacturer similar to Boeing, they make the Airbus, and uh, that was in the Washington, D.C. area. Well, they relocated there, and uh, they bought a home uh, across the street from the Bixler family. And uh, that's how I met my wife, Marianne Bixler. There you and, go. Uh, right so across the all street, good. huh? Yeah, so it was all good. <laughs> yeah. It all just went yeah. from that from that point yeah. on. Yeah. Okay, so the uh, for you as a young kid bouncing around high school to high school or whatever. And I know, you know, we talked about this just before we started the, uh, you know, you wanted to be, you were always wanted to be an athlete of yeah. some kind. You just didn't yeah. know which way to That's go right. at first. I know the American Legion thing for you was great when you were in Moline. You want to stay championship there. But the deal was how many more, did you play all the sports when I you did. were growing up? Growing okay. up I did. Yeah. And then I realized, you know, that baseball was going to be, you know, my opportunity you know, to play college baseball and hopefully professional baseball one day. I could never, ever imagine a day where I wasn't in baseball. I mean, I literally dreamt about it, thought about it, talked about it nonstop to the point where uh, many members of my family, you know, thought that, you know, I was pursuing 
a lifestyle that was just not going to be conducive. Yeah, yeah. To, to make a living and provide for a family. And of course, you know, growing up in a blue collar family, uh, all farmers and mechanics. Sure. I mean, everybody. You worked, and and I was working, but I just had such a passion and and drive for for sports and especially baseball. But yeah, I played basketball. Football, wrestling. By the time I was a senior, I didn't play football anymore. I didn't play bat because I just wanted to focus on baseball. Mm -hmm. And and at the time, you had that was beginning a, a period of time where the football coach required you to lift weights in the summer. Oh, the yeah. basketball coach wanted you to play basketball all summer, and uh, I wanted to do all of them. But at the end of the day, I just stuck with baseball, and you know it, it worked out. <laughs> it's it sort of did. Uh, tell us a story a little bit about the watching the 1985 World Series from I-70. You know, surreal moment. I get goosebumps <laughs> thinking about it. I really do. Um, of course, I grew up a Royals fan. As how, a, how old were you at that time? I was 18, 18 years that's old. That's yeah, senior in high school. Yeah, probably, 1985. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I was, uh, I was attending uh, Garden City Community College playing baseball. And um, we were a buddy of mine, David Larson, who obviously – uh, he was a Garden City as well. We were both grew up or went to high school in the Quad Cities. He went to Rock Island High School. I was Moline High School, intense rivals. Mm -hmm. and uh, But we were roommates at Garden City. And we were coming back from fall break from the Quad Cities to Garden City to finish up, you know, the, uh, the, the fall semester. And uh, Game 7 of the World Series was going on. We decided to stop. You know, we, we, we were thinking we were going to get – you know, tickets or buy tickets. Yeah, sure. The police are going to be. It was like, like oh, 150. Oh, I'm, I'm thinking tickets. The police are going to be out here to get well, us. Well, we we're going to, you know, someone's going to scalp tickets <laughs> right. or whatever. We didn't know anything right. about it. But there were like 150, 170 bucks. We couldn't afford that. And uh, But we noticed that there was a lot of people congregating off of I-70. And they had grills there. And, and some had battery-operated <laughs> TVs. And, and we just said, you know what? Let's just stay and watch a game. And so we did. We could see everything other than Lonnie Smith in left field. We couldn't see the left fielder. Okay. But we could see everything that transpired. And uh, I remember, you know, we got – we once the game concluded, we got into Garden City about 7.30 the next morning. I don't know how we made it because we were tired. <laughs> but what a, what a thrill it was and, and uh, you know, to, to be there when the, the Royals won their first ever World Series championship. Yeah. You know, I, I can remember when I, when I drove cross country from Philadelphia to San Francisco, I was going to – Change careers. I wanted to get into broadcasting. Yeah. I coached or whatever. And I came by the Truman Sports Complex. Mm -hmm. And I remember I took a picture. And I still have the picture to this day. But I take a picture and I wrote on it. I said, you know, on this little journal I was keeping it as I went across country. I, I wrote on it. I said, who knows? Maybe I'll work here someday. Yeah. You know, did you did you ever think you're no. standing up there going, maybe I'll no. play for them someday? Well, or? you know, no, I don't know if I ever did that, but I did have a very surreal moment. You know, when we were before Game Seven of the World Series in 2014, we were playing the Giants. Right. I remember setting the dugout and looking, gazing off into left field beyond I-70, and just it, it just, and I don't know why I wasn't intentionally thinking about it that right. day when I woke up, but I happened to be setting in the first base dugout, and all of a sudden that moment hit me, and I just said, you know what, it's pretty cool, pretty cool that God worked this out yes. in, in our lives that uh, you know we could experience this. What a, what a great blessing it was. Yeah, when we talked to Kathy Nelson, she said when the draft was here, it was after the you know the championship parades, the Royals yeah. in '15, and two Chiefs, and all of a sudden the draft's here. And um, she actually went back. So they started to cry. Yeah, because she said, "I can't believe this." Yeah, me and 
she's a Kansas Cityan and the, just everything that had happened to her. And you have that same moment, that's a real moment where you're staring up there yeah. to where you were standing back in 1985, and all of a sudden yeah. you don't have to buy a ticket to get in. Okay, yeah. you are you are the guy at that at that point. So then. Garden City Community College, mm-hmm. and then the recruiting comes. Yeah. I know you end up at George Mason I did. University, but how many others were you considering other schools as well? I had three scholarship offers. I had one at Grand Canyon, Gil Stafford, who was a baseball coach there, and then Chuck Anderson at Florida Southern. And uh, they were all recruiting me. I went out and played uh, that summer in the Clark Griffith Collegiate League, which was in the Washington, D.C. area. Uh-huh. And I'd never been out east, even though my, my family had moved out there, I, I mentioned, but I had graduated from high school and never really spent much time there, you know, Christmas, Thanksgiving, that type of deal. And uh, But I, I enjoyed it that summer. Billy Brown was the head baseball coach at George Mason, and um, he, uh, he, he was very intentional. Um, as I said, I met my I met Marianne that yeah, summer as well. Yeah. She was at Radford University, so we weren't we weren't going to be attending the same school. But and that that had maybe a little bit to do with it. But uh, as I was going through the recruiting process, I I told Gil Stafford, I told Chuck Anderson, I told Billy Brown, look, you know, I'm going to play as long as I can. I, I want to be a major league player. I said, but when my time is done, I want to coach. And uh, I'm not asking for assurances here, uh, but I you know just as I'm a player and as I'm in this system, please consider me as a future coach and, and please come alongside of me and help mold me and see the game uh, from maybe a coach's perspective as well, although I am a player. And, you know, Gil Stafford and Chuck Anderson, you know, they, they heard what I said, but I felt like Billy Brown didn't dismiss it. And he was really, uh, he, 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 he said, look, I will give you opportunity. You do what you need to do here. And, and, and you, you go about your business the right way and go to class and be a good leader and all this stuff. And, you know, I'll, I'll make sure there's some opportunity for you at some level when your time is done. And so um, I decided to go to George Mason. I committed to go to George Mason. And then my dad took a job with uh, Continental Airlines, which is now United. You right. know, they had merged. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so they moved to Houston. And so I was there for literally, you know, uh, that summer. And he moved the family to Houston, Texas, uh, that fall, and so I never had an opportunity to, you know, to kind of live in the same area as my family. But um, but it was all good. Yeah, yeah, that's a little bit different commute. Yeah, yeah. from George Mason to Houston yeah. than it was, yeah. was otherwise. Yeah. Okay, so when did you realize maybe the career of playing? isn't going to happen. I mean, did you have a high school that the majors are interested at a junior college? So I was, I was, you know, I went to every trial camp imaginable, uh, out of high school and, uh, the Cincinnati Reds were the team that was most interested in me. I wanted to sign with them out of high school. They flat out told me that you know, we don't think you're ready. We, and they sent me to the junior college in Kansas. Okay. So I, was, your garden I was actually looking to go to the university of Missouri, Gene McCarter. Long-term uh-huh, day, yeah. He Remember? Had, he, yeah. He had recruited me. And uh, I, I had committed there, actually. And uh, I'm not necessarily proud of it, but I remember telling them that, look, I'm not going to come. I'm not going to show up. I'm going to go to Garden City. And the reason I went to Garden City is because they played 100-plus games a year. Junior college baseball, you were eligible to get drafted every single year. As you know, you go to college. Yeah, and three, it's a, after three, three years, years mm-hmm. after your junior year. And I just wanted to play, Frank. And, uh, you know, I didn't grow up. As I said, my family was very blue-collar. Uh, neither, neither my mother or my father um, went to college. I was the first person on either side of my family to go to college. Uh, education, 
Uh, I wouldn't say it wasn't it wasn't overly stressed in our family. Just hard work, being a good person, that type yeah. of deal. And um, and so I wasn't very academic minded, if you will. Sure. And, and that wasn't that wasn't necessarily odd at the time because I feel like all my friends, you know, we we just love sports and we loved you know just activities and we loved being outside and we loved competition and and uh, and so but um, and then when I didn't get drafted out of Garden City, obviously I chose George Mason, and I, I felt like I would get an opportunity to play. Uh, I didn't after my senior year. Uh, I signed with an independent pro team and went and played with the Erie Sailors. I was released out of there, and I remember calling Billy Brown mm-hmm. uh, at George Mason. I said, Billy, I just got released, and uh, he said, well, if you want to coach, come on and join us. And yeah. so I I packed my stuff. I went I went the next day, and um, I went to work for Billy Brown. Right, and that's the situation. I think is that where you began to think – or at least it had to. The seed had to be playing the, uh, in the back of your mind about mentoring. Yeah, and because yeah. he mentored you, yep. you actually asked for help. Yeah, he ended up mentoring you, and then no doubt. you went on from there. And we'll, we'll talk about C in the major yeah. leagues and all all the things that you do. But that had to be where the seed was planted, right? It was, and you know, I just uh, first of all, I, you know, I, I felt like that, you know, to be a great coach, I needed to coach in a hundred plus games a year, and Billy was giving me an opportunity to coach third base, work with the infielders, and then he also gave me an opportunity to coach in the summer leagues, which at the time was kind of rare. I think being in a mid-major program, um, he allowed me the opportunity to do that. Plus, he wasn't paying me much. But if I was a part of a a major program, you'd be recruiting all summer. But Billy allowed me the opportunity to coach in the the Shenandoah Valley League in Winchester, Virginia, which was a high-level collegiate league at the time. And so I was – it was the name of that team, the Winchester Royals. Yeah, the Winchester Royals. Yeah, <laughs> and so you know, I, yeah, so I'd coach there. I'd coach there and, and and be a part of some of the best college players in the country. And then I was interacting with some of the elite college coaches mm-hmm. in the country and getting uh, to network and 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 know them. And and uh, and so I coached there for for five years at George Mason. I had a couple opportunities to scout, and I turned them down because I just wanted to c- continue to pursue the coaching deal. And uh, and then the Braves called. And they were very persistent, and I decided to join them. But I was only going to scout for four years and get back into college coaching. But okay. I felt like I, I needed to refine my evaluation skills at a very high level. And I felt like even though I would I would take maybe a, a sidestep out of the collegiate game by learning to evaluate from some of the best of the best. And, of course, the Braves were the model organization oh, of all of baseball yes. right there in the mid-'90s. And, uh, and to be around some of these guys like Paul Snyder and Bill LaJoy and Donnie Williams and Jose Martinez and John Scherholtz and Bobby Cox and all these people, right. um, you know, I could learn some just great, terrific things that would allow, prepare me to be a better coach someday. And then, you know, so one thing led to another. Next thing you know, they asked me to come to Atlanta uh, to be the assistant director of scouting. We decided to do that. And then John, you know, we just – you know, put me in all kinds of different positions. Yeah, John Sheerholz, yeah. of course, put a former Royals yeah, GM. Exactly. Yeah. And he um, he believed in me. I'm thankful for that. He gave me opportunity to do a lot of different things in the game. And, you know, I think I was the, the first ever professional scouting director and, and, and did international scouting at the same time, which had never been done. And John just kind of let me kind of pioneer that. Yeah. And uh, I, I learned a lot. See, people are going to wonder, okay, so he's coaching at George Mason. He wants to be a coach. But the Atlanta Braves call him, and he's 
and he's thinking about it. Whereas most other people would have gone, "Oh my God, it's Atlanta Braves!" I actually, I'm going turn, to I actually turned him down. Oh I t- turned him down at first, and then um, Roy Clark, who was one of my mentors, one of the best scouts I've ever been around. Roy Clark called me like 30 minutes later after I got off the phone with Paul Snyder, telling him that, "Look, you know what? I'm really I don't want to move to Atlanta, I, you know, because I knew in the back of my mind, you know, I don't, I don't know if this is what I definitely want to do." And Roy Clark said, "You are the dumbest." <laughs> person I've ever met. And he had some <laughs> harsh words. It wasn't dumb. It was I know. dumb. I, I know exactly whatever, what you're right? talking about. And I know and I said, what are you, you don't about? use that kind of language. I said, what are you talking about? He said, you got a chance to go down to Atlanta and work with Paul Snyder and John Sherholtz and Bobby Cox. And at the time, Frank, there was only six people in that front office. Wow. And I was the seventh. And so front offices were, were you know, everybody was involved in everything. And you, mm-hmm. you got exposure to a lot of different things. And and, and so I, I thought about it, and uh, uh, I called Paul, and Paul said, well, let's talk about it a month from now, and, and we did. And so I showed up in, in uh, Atlanta, uh, I think it was August 10th of, of 1996. Okay. And I, I want to say it was the first day that Andrew Jones broke into the major leagues. Oh, my yeah, gosh, yeah. Yeah, and, um, and so, you know, that's that's how it began in yeah. Atlanta. Yeah, and then in – and it started in 96 and or it actually started in 94 right yeah and then 96 then you go 2002 you become director of player personnel mm-hmm. for for the Atlanta Braves and then when did when did you start and I'm sure it was John that was talking to you about it the whole time when when did you want when did you start to aspire to be John Shearholtz with another yeah. team or with the Atlanta Braves great or question you wherever. Know, Frank I never really thought about it you know the first opportunities we had to be a general manager one was in Boston and one was in Arizona and I turned them down because I, I loved doing what I was doing I love scouting I love player development I love the Atlanta Braves John Schultz was giving me all kinds of autonomy to make decisions in scouting and player development um, and <laughs> then and then the, the Royals called the Royals called and um, uh, well, actually, John said, look, let's meet for lunch. And I didn't think it was odd because we'd meet for lunch at least yeah. twice twice a, a week or whatever. And so we met at the CNN Center, and he said, look, he said, David Glass is going to come. He wants to meet you at Peachtree to Cab Airport in the next couple of days. He wants to talk to you about being the, the general manager of the Kansas City Royals. And I said, well, John, you know, that's great. You know, that was my boyhood team. I know you've got a great affection for the, mm-hmm. the Royals as well, John. I said, let me – he's one of the most successful businessmen in our country. He said – and I said, John, John, encourage – just meet with him. Just meet with him. You give him some ideas, whatever. John never thought I'd take the job. I never thought I'd take the job. But, Frank, when, as, I, as I sat down and I began to meet and talk – with, with David Glass, I found him to be a very humble man. Um, he talked all the time about family. He talked about the fans of Kansas City. He talked about how embarrassed he was that the team was losing. Mm-hmm. He said things like, I don't know how to build a baseball team. Uh, we need somebody to come in here. And he said, like, I want to make this a model organization. And um, I began to say, you know what, I like this person. And, and I want to do well for him. I, I'm probably never going to come to here to Kansas City, but mm-hmm. I found myself kind of rooting for him. He was just a very humble guy. And, um, you know, he, he – and so after about 10-day period, you know, I decided uh, – actually, the day we accepted the job, earlier that morning, Scherholz had said, look, you're going to be the GM here in Atlanta after the 2008 season, and I'm ready to make an mm-hmm. announcement. He <clears> said, <throat> um, you know, I, I, we don't want to lose you. And uh, so I called Marianne, and I said, sweetheart, we're just going to stay right here in Atlanta. Um, and she, there, was some, there was a sense of peace I could tell mm-hmm. from her, not wanting to move. Um, 
but then I, I didn't have the same peace. It was like, you know what? I, what are we going to win here for 28 years in Atlanta? Yeah, John's going to be the president. I'm going to be the GM. That's great. Um, you know, I love it here. Royals are my boyhood team. I, I didn't want to call and tell David Glass no. no. I mean, I, I really didn't. I, 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 and uh, I said, you know what? Let's just go do it. Let's go do something special. Let's see if we can win here in Kansas City. Everybody I sought counsel from, Frank, told me, don't go to Kansas yeah, City. You can't exactly. win in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. They said the owner's not going to spend money. Right. The community is very disappointed in the team and ownership and all this. Don't go. Don't go. And um, he just said, you know what? Let's go try it. Let's go see if we can do it. And wow. But, but what you, I'm going to tell you why ultimately we did it. I felt so strongly in how I was raised. My mother, my grandmother, Royals fans, I knew their heart and how much they loved the team. And I just figured everybody was like that in Kansas City. They loved the Royals. And I felt like, you know what? I'm, gonna, I'm one of them, and we can do this all together. Mm-hmm. And, and building the team, which is different than rebuilding a team, I must tell you, after going through <laughs> what I went through the last four or five years. But, That's for sure. But building it was fun. And, um, you know, the reason we won here in Kansas City was because of the environment, the fans, the support, the culture. Right. And uh, it was everybody coming together. And I felt from the beginning that we could do that. I mean, you were always very kind to me. And there was nothing to report good about the team. But when I would see you, you were you were kind to me. You were upbeat. You always had a positive word. I don't know if you felt that. No, I didn't. But you were positive. You were positive. And people, you know, I felt that, you know what, let's just be transparent. Tell everybody what we're going through. And uh, let's just try to get everybody on board and see how we can do this together. And, yeah. and we did. It's amazing. You, you come to a, a team like the Royals and everybody says, don't take it. I'm sure when you turn down the Boston Red Sox, they're going, John, what are you doing? That's yeah. the Boston Red yeah. Sox. Yeah. I mean, you're going to get everything you need in Boston. Yeah. And we're not so sure you're going to get everything you need in Kansas City. But was it something – it was a – uh, you knew the, the history, obviously. And right. George Brett was still right, right. involved in the whole deal, but the but the 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 idea of taking something basically from scratch because where they were was scratch. That's right. Okay, at, at that point, and to try to rebuild and get back to that young kid who was standing up on I seventy right. uh, in nineteen. And I think that that was part of it, Frank. I mean, that was one of the things. I mean, I it was the challenge. Yeah, is what I'm trying the to challenge say. challenge and part. I mean, and you can say. I mean, some people don't. I believe the greatest leaders ever have trusted their heart, their passion, mm-hmm. their desire, their love and commitment for what they're doing. And, and I knew we were going to have that. And um, I still have that. I still have that love and that passion and that commitment, you know, for, for the royals. And, and I, I can't help, but it's part of who I am. Mm-hmm. That's in my DNA. And I just knew that we would have that. And, and because that, I just think the drive and perseverance and commitment Things that people necessarily can't measure, the data can't tell you about, I think it means a whole lot because I think when you have passionate people who, who love what they do, you're going to have a group of people around you that are going to take mm-hmm. that same passion and drive. And I felt I knew that we could model the behavior that, they, that we wanted. I knew we were going to be able to model that, the behavior that we wanted in our front office and our coaches and our players, but I had to model it. And the only thing we ever tried to do and is I love baseball. And I love the Royals. And I wanted to share that with every person in this community, every person in this region, and every person in, in the country. 
I love baseball. I love the Royals, and I want you to love baseball, and I want you to love the Royals. Yeah, or rekindle that love for, right. for the Royals. That That's time. Right. Okay, so I've been involved in some bizarre situations. I've never been in anything more bizarre than June 8th, 2006. You are hired as the Royals GM, <laughs> okay? And this is... I don't know if it's unbeknownst to you at that time. Did you know what was going no, to transpire no during clue. that Frank, press conference? Frank, Frank when before, they're introducing yeah, us before the press know. conference, before the press conference, <laughs> I did this interview with ESPN, and I, I I did a couple other you know with ESPN, and and I forget the gal's name. I can see her face, doggone it. And she was always very good to me. And you know when we had the baby Braves come up in Atlanta, it was a big national mm-hmm. story, and ESPN mm-hmm. was involved, and it was the same gal anyway. So she we had kind of a a relationship or whatever, and um, she did a very nice interview and and what have you. And then the the cameraman says to me, he says, "Congratulations, you're a general manager of a major league team, but it's more like a minor league team." Oh boy! Oh yeah! And I'm like, the camera guy. Yeah, said that I thing? said that was kind of a cr- off. I mean, that's a weird thing. And she jumped him. She jumped him. She said, "That's not necessary." Whatever. And I'm going, boy, there's there's a little friction in here yeah, now i don't know what's going on i don't know who the camera the cameraman was probably local it was probably a local you know maybe a local person that was maybe just, yeah uh-huh. it could have been, been. could have been, been yeah now that i reflect back and uh, i can't remember who it was but no i did hopefully it was one of ours no but it, it's, <laughs> a, Fox yeah, time, but it's uh and i just remember i like man there might be something going on here and then we'll go in the press conference and there was an intensity and a and a just an attitude and just uh just a kind of a, like a, a hatred-type feeling about what was going on. Well, the problem was no one had talked to the owner. Yeah. Everybody wanted to talk to him for yeah. literally years. Yeah. I mean, it was like he was never available. He just yeah. never made himself available. Yeah. All of a sudden, he comes out to introduce you, and you're sitting there, and I can see the expression on your face, and all of a sudden, all the questions are going to David Glass. Yeah. They're going, what are you going to do? You're going to spend money. What, what is going on? Right, and right. they're getting they're getting all these questions yeah. out that they hadn't been. And you're sitting there, looking around like, <laughs> is he the GM? And I'm the owner. Who? What is going you know, on I, here? I, it was uh, that was so bizarre. Yeah, and, I, and then I remember the one thing I will tell you is that, to speak to David Glass. Okay, so we had there was I forget who it was. There was a couple media. Yeah. People that their credentials were suspended. Yeah, they were. I can't remember yeah. who it was, but it was uh, Bob Fesco. Okay, yes, right. And then Bob. the wo- uh, woman was. Uh, oh gosh, I'm gonna forget her name. Yeah, the two of them. Yeah, okay. Ended so up anyway, getting, I remember getting their media I remember like a suspended. week later, we had this meeting. Right, we're sitting in the office, and and uh, you didn't know they had their no credentials but, but, suspended. But David right. Glass says to me, he says uh, he's there's like six or seven people in the room, and he's going around and he's asking people what they think, and he comes to me and he says, "What do you think about?" suspending their crew. You think we should should have done that, whatever? And I said, Mr. Glass, with all due respect, sir, we, we have so much more to worry about than what the what the media is going to portray right. us, who were, who were, what credentials that we're suspending, what have you. I said, I, I don't, I don't care what you do, truthfully. And I don't think it's that big of a deal. I, I wouldn't suspend their credentials. Mm-hmm. And he said, I agree 100%. Is what he said, and right. I can't remember what the outcome was after that. But, but that's when I knew. Yeah, they, no, they're reinstated. Yeah, and I, that's when I knew. I said, you know what, this guy—he's very thoughtful. He's not concerned about anything other than let's just do the hard work. Let's build an infrastructure. Let's build a foundation. Let's get a model organization going here. Let's come together. Let's forget about the noise. It is what it is in professional sports, as you know. If you decide that you're going to put that uniform on, or you're going to accept a position with a major league team. 
you're going to, you got to be able to manage, you know, criticism. Mm-hmm. You can't take it personal. That's just part of it. It's not personal. It's just not. People have a right to view the team or have an opinion about the team. That's what makes sports go. We all have an opinion about the team, how the team should be built, the decisions that should be made. And that's just part of it. And that's what makes sports go. Right. And I think the perception was back then that David Glass did not give you the monetary means in order to do this, I just want to say, quicker yeah. or faster or yeah. whatever it was. You, you had a lot to do. You had a lot yeah, to build did. through scouting we did. and uh, drafting and then develop, research and development and then bring them up to the, to, to the major league level because they had been going downhill for so long. So there was a lot to do. Did did you feel you're getting support at that time? Yeah, you know, I, I, I always heard the stories, okay, yeah. whether you wanted to hire scouts, coaches, or what have you. But we, we had all of that settled before I came to Kansas City. You know, I told Mr. Glass there was, there was a few non-negotiables, and we had to be able to have a budget in scouting player development that mm-hmm. was amongst the best in baseball, and he allowed that to happen. And that was a Braves yeah. situation. It was. And Braves, we, yeah. we added a, a minor league team. Mm-hmm. Uh, we added an affiliate, which at the time was an extra almost a million dollars a year to operate. He didn't even hesitate on that. Um, I talked about the importance of paying our employees at a very high level because I knew in a small market the economics of the game wasn't going to allow us to keep our elite players yeah. long term. But so I didn't want to have a lot of turnover with our directors and in high levels of leadership. I wanted to pay them at the yeah. very high. You wanted to level. keep some stability yeah, there. We, yeah. we needed mm-hmm. to. And so he he said absolutely. That makes perfect. He didn't debate me one. And I'm like, this is too good to be true. I mean, he's allowing me to do whatever. So we had a lot of those things. But I had heard the exact same things that you're sharing with me prior to coming Mm -hmm. to Kansas City. And truthfully, that's why it was not necessarily a destination point for me, even though it was my boy team, even though my emotion and my heart was taking me to Kansas City. Right. You know, I wanted to get all this settled. And Mr. Glass was, you know, he was just whatever you need to do, whatever you need to do. He laid out what he thought the payroll would be for the next five years Mm. at the major league level. Um, it was, it certainly wasn't middle of the pack. It was still, but, but we weren't ready to, you know, to contend add, anyway, con- right? Elite yeah. major. That being said, we went out and signed Gilmesh right away. Yeah. And I, and we did that because Gilmesh was 27 years old, entering the prime of his career. He was a highly sought after free agent. We sold our tail off to get him here to Kansas city. Uh, I felt like he could be a part of what we were going to do. And, fa- and and we thought we would take the pressure off Zach Grinky, allow Zach to just kind of mature and, and yeah. kind of be under the radar, which it worked out that way. And and that was kind of the plan. And and um, and then Zach wins the Cy Young. We're able to execute a deal to get Escobar and, and Lorenzo Cain. And yeah, Jake right. For, for Zach, that was a tough decision. It was. Too. It was a tough decision. Yeah. And, and, um, and Zach had – uh, you know, a, a limited no trade. Uh-huh. Um, and so Milwaukee was one of the teams that was on the no trade. And so that was a whole process of trying to, you know, develop that relationship with Zach. I'm glad we had a, a solid relationship, which allowed us to talk through why, you know, this deal is important for both. And, uh, you know, we had some basic trust there yeah. uh, with the player. And, uh, you know, he allowed the deal to go through. And I'm forever thankful for Zach. Yeah, right. That was the that, – that sort of ignited the whole thing. The, the thing for me for Zach, which I will never forget, is we know he had the anxiety mm-hmm. issues. And like you said, you, you, you wanted Gilmesh for a reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Zach came back – 
to the Royals. We were at spring training. I still remember sitting in that room. And Zach came up and sat down. He's got anxiety issues yeah. and all that. Now he's been through counseling and the whole deal. And he sat there and he answered. I was so impressed. He answered every question. And he just sat there and he just answered all the questions and the whole thing. And when he left that day, I just went, boy, that kid is that kid's special. There's just something about yeah, I, his character and the way he approached it. To me, I was just I was blown away by Zach Greinke. I love point. Zach Greinke. Yeah. I love his family. I'm not even talking about his yeah. pitching. Yeah, I just I just <laughs> uh, I love his heart. I love his genuineness. Um, um, I've always pulled for him. There's very few times that he's pitched in his career where I haven't paid attention or watched him because I love what he's able to do. Mm-hmm. I love guys that can make pitches and 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 execute pitches and set right. pitches up. I mean, it's fun to to watch him work. And um, you know, I'm so proud of him. I'm thankful we were able to bring him back. I'm I'm very uh, happy that he's a, the father and the husband that yeah. he is right now. Because knowing him, you know, in the early days, I mean, that wasn't a vision of his. And Mm-mm. and um, to watch him mature, it's been really really special. And you know, yeah. after um, after I got fired by the Royals, um, you know, I was sitting in my um, home watching Cleveland and uh, the Yankees play. It was an afternoon game. And uh, season obviously was over for the Royals, and there was a knock on my door, and it was Zach Greinke. Oh, wow. And, um, you know, he came in, and we sat and watched the game together, and and uh, we sat there for about an hour and a half, and it was just one of the most special yeah. times of my baseball right. life in here in Kansas City um, just because of that's what it's all about. Oh, yeah. You know, 17, years ago, 17 years ago. 17 years ago. You know, spending time with Zach, with his career, watching him evolve as a person and a and a and a and a, and a professional, and then to, for him to come over and just spend time with me was pretty neat. Right. So you trade Granky and you end up uh, with Kane and Escobar basis. Now, now we're starting starting yeah. to build. We don't yeah. know yet. We don't know really who these guys are. We know they're pretty good players, but we're just not sure here in Kansas City who these guys are. And you got rid of Zach Granky, uh, which was tough to do. Then you get. Um, 2012, I think you get Shields and Wade Davis. Yep. Uh, more building blocks. And uh, then in, in 2013, I think you had the best record since uh, 94. You're 86 and 76. But it's crazy. You're 10 games over 500, yeah. but you're third in the yeah. American League Central at yeah, that time. And we, so. and, we had, and we had the best was, record the second half in the American League. Yes, least. exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, yeah. you ran it at, yeah. at that point. So you get into 2014, and everybody is right. okay. Right. All right, we're ready to go. And you get to the All Star break, and everybody wants your head, yeah. and they want Ned Joe's head yeah. uh, on, on a spike sitting not in front of. I wanted my head cat. too. Okay, <laughs> I was about as frustrated as you could be because, I mean, really, Ned and I both were. You yeah, know? and um, you know, it was just. Um, Anyway, go ahead, Frank. No, no, yeah. no. That yeah. was it. We're that, that's no, where we I are mean, right we, now. We we're were, halfway through yeah, fourteen. We, we were just um, <laughs> you know the team was underachieving and and. Um, um, the expectations were high, and as we all know, a lot of times when those expect expectations are high, when you haven't won for so many years, and you start, you know, you, you, the frustration kind of seeps in a little bit, um, and um, everybody kind of loses their focus. They start blaming one another, mm-hmm. and, and you know, there's two things that happen, uh, and, and I haven't shared this publicly a lot, but um, maybe at all. But uh, our coaching staff really wasn't getting along at the time. Okay. And uh, our, players, that could happen. our players weren't really getting along. We were, <laughs> now, it was, all, it was all in 
we're all in, in the spirit of we're trying to get better. Okay, we're just frustrated. We're 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 just trying. And, and sometimes you get in a little blame game. And Fing, what finger pointing. Finger pointing. Uh-huh, there sure. you go. That's yeah. a good way to say it. Yeah. And so I got our major league coaching staff together, and I said, you know why our players aren't on the same page? It's because you guys aren't on the same page. You guys aren't getting along. You guys aren't working together. I'm in the coach's room. I I come in there after batting practice or at lunch or after the game, and we got we got pockets people talking about different things. We're not talking. We're not together. And um. And they just looked at me and they said, you know what, you're right. And so once the staff started getting together, the players started getting together, everybody started taking responsibility. Of course, you know, acquiring Raul Abanez was a big oh, part yeah. of that as mm-hmm. well, even though he wasn't going to play. I don't even know why. We had no spot for Raul Abanez. Um, he, he, he clearly couldn't play the outfield anymore. He wasn't an impactful hitter, but he was such an impactful person. And I remember sitting there in, in the first base dugout <laughs> after we had acquired him, and Mr. Glass said, can you explain to me why we brought in Raul Abanez? I said, Mr. Glass. No, no, can you explain to me why I'm spending money on this guy? I said, I have no idea. I said, really? I don't know where he's going to play. I don't know if he's going to do anything for us offensively. I don't know where he's going to play defensively. I said, but Mr. Glass, I just feel like we need this type of veteran presence Mm -hmm. with our team. And uh, there's no, no team that was as athletic as our team with Hosmer and Moose and Escobar and, and Kane. Kane. And mm-hmm. even Sa- Salvi was as good as athlete as anybody, and he's in mm-hmm. the catching position. I mean, the guy, the guy's strong, he's got great hands and great feet. And, um, you know, we just we had Dyson and, and all these guys that were athletes, and we just needed somebody to kind of breathe life on them and just say, hey, you guys are pretty good. Let's, yeah. just, let's just go out and just win a pitch. Let's win an inning. And then we'll worry about you know winning the game, and let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Right, and you had all you had all the pieces, like building a car. You had all the pieces, just had to put them in the right spot in order to make that car That's go right. forward. So. That's right. And they really did take off yeah. then at the end. But we were we were fr- you know that was the first time you know in 2014 that you know Marianne, my wife, is so emotionally stable and such an encourager and and uh, the perfect the perfect spouse, especially for baseball. And uh, it was the first time that, you know, she was kind of like, you know, I don't know if it's going to work out here either, you know. And, <laughs> yeah. and you know, it's sure. just because the expectations were – and we were frustrated. We were. And then all of a sudden we took off, and next thing you know, we had a pretty good run. Yeah. Um, the postseason was absolutely yeah. crazy yeah. in 14. Yeah. The, the Houston game, did you, I just go. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was it just all the way through, and all the way through the World Series, you just, well, this is a team of destiny. And then yeah. you run into San Francisco. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I'm working with. On, on, an, on an even year. Yeah. Bad year to get San Francisco. Because yeah. they win all the World they Series had on, on they even had years. I mean, I thought, player yeah. for, I thought player for player we were better. Yes. But, you know, uh, Madison Bumgarner just can't stepped up and just had a dominant year. I mean, dominant series and that we could do. But I thought we outplayed them. And it really, if, um, uh, if Panic, Joe Panic doesn't make the diving play up the middle and turn the double play. Right. With, with, I think Haas was on first. Kane was hitting. And Kane, as you know, is tough to double up, but he makes this diving play up the middle and flips it and uh, to Crawford, and they execute a 4 6 3 double yeah. play. I mean, we have first and third and no outs there, and I think we win the ball game. In yeah. fact, Bruce Bochy, who I'm working with now, obviously was the manager. You know, with San Francisco, and I always tell I tell Boach the story he saved me from a tattoo because I told Mike <laughs> Moustakis, I said if we win, if we win the World Series, I'm getting a t- I'll get a tattoo, Moose, because oh, Moose God. is always telling me I need to get a tattoo. Yeah, right. So I always tell Boach, I said, Boach, the fact that you guys beat us, you saved me from getting a tattoo. So, <laughs> well, the the thing, and everybody hates 
these two words, uh, Madison Bumgarner, uh, his performance in Game Seven was, yeah, just yeah. I mean it was it was mind boggling what he did. Yeah, in in Game Seven to pick up that ball after pitching in right. Game Five, and then picking up that ball and when he pitched that one inning to get him out of the inning, he doesn't go into and you can tell right away went in sat down put his coat on and and put the um, put put the ice on his shoulder. But he wasn't he wasn't going anywhere, and no. I'm going. He's coming back out, yeah. and he kept coming back out and kept coming back out. It was it was one of the most impressive performances. Otherwise, other than him, like you said, you win the World Series and you go back to back. I believe so. Yeah, yeah, I believe so. And uh, so it was it was heartbreaking. But I remember going home that night after we had lost, and uh, just you know it, being in Atlanta all those years, knowing that you got to get a break or two along the way. And we always had a good team. We won one World Series during that journey, and I knew that you know. You know, this was our opportunity, right? And mm-hmm. I remember Gene Watson, our director of professional scouting, called me on the way home, and he said, man, you should be so proud. You should, you know, this is awesome what we did. And I'm like, proud of what, Gene? I mean, we, what, what am I supposed to be proud of? I mean, we just lost the freaking World Series. I don't know if we'll ever get back here again. Yeah. This is what we set out to do, you know? And, uh, and I, I started screaming at him. Um, and I felt terrible afterwards. Um, but Gene Watson and I had that type of relationship. He was the one person that, I mean, he wouldn't, he'd never go to HR on me, put it that way, okay? <laughs> so I could vent to him, right? I wish I had a few friends yeah, like that in right, the business. Right. I was it. <laughs> so I could vent with him. And then the next day, I just remember what a lonely feeling waking up. And we had all those fans there that came out. And we had kind of a, you know, just a thank you <clears throat> kind of a, an event. Fans wanted to still be right. a part of it. And Mr. Glass spoke. I spoke. I think Ned spoke as well. And I remember looking at Mr. Glass, and I said, Mr. Glass, <clears throat> I apologize. We couldn't get this thing done for you. And he said, uh, we're, we're going to get it done. He said, you let me know what you need. He said, we're going to get it done next year. Yeah. I appreciate you, and let's go to work. And we met right after that, and we started mapping out what we wanted to do and uh, how we were going to finish this off in 2015. And, and uh, he supported our moves, and we spent some money in the mm-hmm. offseason. Um, and uh, we, took some, we took a risk on Kendris Morales, who a lot of people in the game thought was done. Uh, we had a couple scouts step up and say he wasn't. Analytics didn't like him. Um, and then we had Alex Rios, who I knew was a, a winner, could do some things at the bottom of our lineup and have a presence, and we needed a presence at the bottom of our lineup. And um, he'd never won a World Series. He was hungry to win a World Series. You know, he had had a great career, um, and uh, we brought him in as well. So we brought in some winning-type guys, veteran guys, that we knew were going to give us the right stability and and blend in well with our current group. Yeah, and for me – I always looked at when I look back at 14 and 15, I always looked at 14. I said, losing the World Series the way you lost in, in Game 7, took San Francisco right to the wire, propelled you yeah. to win in 2015. And I always wondered if panic doesn't make the double play, Royals win. Do you, you start out 2015 the way you start out angry, yeah. throwing it, oh, got, yeah. you know, Oh, yeah. Throwing pitches or throwing Herrera's at batters, and getting in and, fights, yeah. and you're and you're and you just rock it out to the lead in, yeah. in 2015. Yeah. You might not have had that motivation. Good point. You never going know. into 15. I like to think yeah. we would, but you're yeah. right. You don't. Yeah. You never know. And so, 
as you bring up, I mean, the circumstances, the challenges that you face oftentimes are the, the great catalysts and prepare you to, to go above and beyond and reach deeper and, and end up, you know, being who you ultimately you know, yeah, are. Yeah, you know? and they jumped out and never looked back. You know, I knew that team was going to win. I tell you how I felt the team was going to win. Spring training in 2015, our first game, we're playing the Texas Rangers. It's the first inning. Eric Hosmer's on first base. And uh, Salvi hits a ground ball base hit into left field. And uh, it's a little bit to the to the right of the left fielder. Hosmer goes first to third, slides head first. In a spring safe. training game. Yeah, bang, bang play. I mean, he's just busting his tail to get to third base with one out. So he can be in, you know, obviously you got a much better chance to score a run yeah, sure. when you're in third base with one out or less. And he goes first to third and dives in head first. And I'm going, I'm going, what is he doing? But way to go. Yeah. We're going to win. Yeah. That was and then it. the other part of that is it's, there's seven, I remember this spring training, there's seven days to go in spring training. Ned has the group doing a team fundamental. They're doing first and third defense and they're doing rundown plays. And Salvador Perez is seven days to go in spring training when everybody's checked out, usually ready to go. Mm-hmm. Salvador Perez is managing those fundamentals like it was the most important thing in the history of the world. And his energy level, his enthusiasm, and I'm going, this this team's got it. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, you go, you finish with the best record. You're 28 games over 500. You go in, into the playoffs. And the playoffs now, compared to 2014, are, are way different. Yeah. I mean, now all of a sudden, you know, you go through uh, you go through Toronto – and uh, am I get am I getting the order right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You end up going through. Um, no, Toronto was second. You go through Houston, Houston, and, Houston. Yeah, yeah. with Houston, the short Toronto, series, yeah. three three two. Yeah. Then you go through Toronto four to two, and then you beat the Mets four to one World Series. That's right. It was like you just you from the beginning of season, from the beginning of spring training, very first game, all the way through that time. That was just that. What an incredible run! Back to back American League championships. And then, uh, then two World Series appearances, obviously, and then one World Championship. So no doubt that was yeah. And it was just like you said, a, a hungry group of players. And you know the thing that um, you know acquiring Zobras and acquiring Cueto during that trade deadline Cueto. <laughs> really kind of I think propelled us and and and, um, and and it was it came at a high cost. We gave up some good players. Sean oh yeah, and I is still pitching effectively in the major leagues and has been a you know a, a top mid mid rotation starter you know in the major leagues. Uh, and uh, we knew we were only going to have Zobrist and Cueto for their rental players, and we weren't going to probably resign them long term. But acquiring those those two players, I think, really gave our our current roster a psychological lift at the mm-hmm. time. They needed it. Yeah, that time. I think so. I mean, I think it just said, "Look, okay, now we got a chance to match up against everybody, and uh, we don't have to. We don't have to overachieve. Right. Just be, just reach our, you know, play at our custom level, and we got a chance to match up with everybody." Yeah, I love Johnny Cueto. He was a piece of work, mm. and the deal was he was a postseason pitcher. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He was. That's right. And, and he's a big and, game and, guy, right? When, when when he was in just. Like it was his normal yeah. spot in rotation. Yeah. On a big, you know, sometimes yeah, you know, he'd get batted yeah. around. You're going, what do we got this guy? And for? the other part of that was it was his free agent year. Yeah. He's trying to conserve pitches. He knew and we knew that other teams were scouting him, you know, for the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So he was pitching a little differently. We knew we were going to win our division. And so, yeah, it was frustrating at times because he was getting hit around. Uh, but, you know, when you when we dug a little bit deeper, I mean, he was – Ned was protecting his health. Just getting him into the playoffs and knowing that you know um, 
once this once the playoffs begin, he's going to be a different guy. He, now he obviously had a stinker there in Toronto. Yeah, but I mean, how he pitched against the Astros and how he pitched against the Mets. I mean, Mets, without yeah. him, you know. Yeah. And Volke, you know, Edison Volquez and what he did was was special as well. Chris Young, who I'm working for now in Texas. I mean, I maintain that Chris Young was the MVP of our pitching staff in '15 because he was a starter. He closed out games. He pitched middle relief. Um, he know, did anything you wanted him did. to do. He did in New York. He, you know, he, he won the game in New York for us. He pitched uh, in relief when we in Toronto. Uh, you know, when we had the Randall. I mean, he he mm-hmm. did everything that you know we needed him to do. And uh, what a headstrong, mentally tough competitor <laughs> that that he, he is. He and, was an interesting interview yeah. too. I'll yeah, tell you that he was. You know, he'd just get his back, he'd look at you like this, and go, "Hey." All right, buddy. Hey, you. <laughs> Listen to me. Come here, Shorty. Get over here for a second. I'm not talk because he was such a big guy. Yeah. Anyway, okay. So we go to 2016 and 2020 hindsight. Everybody will say, "Well, they should have." After 15, they knew they only had yeah. Hosmus. Yeah. I'm sorry, Hosmus. Well, we could probably say Hosmus. Yeah. Uh, Hosmer and Mustakis, and those for they only have them for two more years. They're not going to end up signing them long term. They're going to end up going out in free agency, and the Royals probably are not not going to sign these guys. Or if they do, they're going to sign one. That's right. They're going to lose the core of this team. Was there any thought ever cross your mind of time to trade those players? I was provided a lot of input um, and counsel uh, and advice internally and externally uh, from my colleagues in the game, that the, the right thing to do would mm-hmm. be to trade those players. Yeah. Um, for the sustainability, the success, the long-term success of the franchise, I wasn't going to do that for our fans, and yeah, I wasn't right. going to do that for Mr. Glass. Mr. Glass would have supported it, but wasn't the right thing to do for our fans. Frank, you can never stop looking at this game from the eyes of your youth. Right. And I don't care what you say. I'm different that way. I don't. I mean, people can debate that. Um, it wouldn't have been the right thing to do for our fans. Uh, I, I wanted to give our players an opportunity as well. Now, at the end of the day, I love players, but I know how they're wired. It true. I mean, they they wanted to be together, but you come a point in time in your career. Yeah. Now you got to you, you want to get a big long term contract. You want to do different things. Take care of my family. Take care of my family. Right. I've you, won. You know the deal. You've right. Been I've won back to back American you, League championships here yeah. in the World Series. You've I've been got around. What I need. You've been around yeah. as many players as I have. You know their hearts, and 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 I'm not saying that's necessarily wrong. It's human nature. Um, but I wasn't going to do that. I just wasn't. Um, if that was going to be, I, and, but I knew there was the bill would come due at some mm-hmm. point, and I knew we were going to have to go through it all over again. Um, and let me say this: it's managing uh, a building process, and then managing through a winning cycle, a building cycle, a winning cycle, and then managing through a rebuilding cycle. All three of them are very different. Right? They're building building is really rewarding and gratifying. You just because right. you can see it, right? Sure. You can just start seeing it, and you feel good about it. And then when you're trying to manage through the winning cycle, there's an intensity level. There's a uh, an edginess. Right. Um, you're not looking place. at developing players. You're looking at we yeah. got to win this game right. tonight. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. And and there's an intensity level that's that's hard to explain. And then yeah. you go through the building cycle. That's something that I'd never ever been through. I mean, that was hard. That was very very difficult. Um, and then obviously we had ownership change that took place during that. Yes. Um, which I wouldn't anticipating that at all. I mean, Mr. Glass never felt that there would ever be a scenario where he or his family would sell the team. And then he got sick, 
And um, it became very clear to him that, you know, Dan and Dana um, weren't going to do it. Yeah, they just mm-hmm. they, they were ready to move on. I don't really think they're baseball people. Anymore. Well, you know what, Frank, I think I think that their family was so tight and without their patriarch, mm-hmm. without Mr. Glass, I think they just felt, you know, it wouldn't be the same. Right. And they wanted to move on. Yeah. So then uh, just before the end, John Sherman, when he comes in as the new owner, um, you're out as GM. This is 2022. Mm-hmm. Um, you're out as GM, and but he makes you president of baseball operations, and mm-hmm. you think, okay, you know, this is this yeah. is what I'm, John Sheerholz went through the same thing. Yeah. This is GM, and he yeah. became president yeah. of baseball operations yeah. in Atlanta, and so you probably thought your career at that point was going to just move on with the roles in a different capacity. Yeah, and that's then that's what I was wanting to do. I mean, we had, you know, to be very candid with you, and people in baseball know this. I mean, the you know, once we won, especially in a small market, we had a lot of opportunities. To move on. Oh, absolutely. And, yeah. and but we, we chose to stay here in Kansas City more out of personal reasons than professional because the professional model says you move on. Mm-hmm. Time to y- go. You do. I mean, Bill Self was at Oral Roberts, then he was at Illinois, and then you know you wanted all those places, and then you move on to you know the best position, the sure. best job in all you go of from college basketball to the Yankees, right? Or to the yeah, Reds, or back to those Reds. And, that, and that's what the, that's what the Andrew Friedmans did in Tampa. That's what mm-hmm. Dave Dombrowski's always done, and that's what. Pat Gillick would do, and, you know, John Scherholz did it. He left Kansas City, go to Atlanta. And I understand that that's the professional model. That's what you do. But from a personal standpoint, we wanted to be here in Kansas City. Now, I didn't expect ownership change to take right, place. Right, exactly. But that, that's okay. That's mm-hmm. part of life. I can't – I mean, I've, I've had a blessed, blessed baseball life here in Kansas City and, and still plan to do more in baseball and not only – professionally but in this community as well so it, it's all good it's not it's not anything I'm going to look back with any regret I mean certainly there's things that you know you would have you could have managed differently and and uh, but I, I try not to let my mind go there no. and just stay in the present you and, can't uh, because yeah, that's behind you yeah you got to move on Frank you're right yeah yeah you you're do right. yeah and it happened and you were a let go fired September yeah um of 2022 right after you were made president probably yeah. thought okay well I got okay. impeached quicker than Trump <laughs> That's what I tell people. I said, heck, I became a president, and then I got impeached quicker than Trump. So. That's pretty good. But you weren't impeached long yeah. Oh, because the Texas Rangers came yeah. after you right after. That had to make you feel—I mean, in a position like yours, or if you're the manager, yeah. or you're a head football coach, or you're yeah. a head bat, whatever, you're in a position— when you're hired to be fired. Yeah. That's just the way yeah. your business is. And that's something I think you accepted as be, being, and I know you didn't want to get fired yeah, I didn't. and didn't really think, you know, maybe getting fired back in 2022, I'd be out as GM and then I'm out yeah. of the Royals that's at right. that point. Well, they made me the president. So yeah. I'm thinking, oh, I'm safe. I'm, yeah. I'm good to go. Yeah. But it just didn't work out. Didn't work way. out. No, didn't work out. No, but that's, you know, that's, that's just the way that it is. But the thing that, you had talked about, and now you're working with the Texas Rangers and uh, doing all, all those great things there. But the thing you kept bringing up, up was the fact you did not want to leave. You had opportunities to leave after you won in 15, 14 and 15, and um, you just did and not want to leave. We had chances to leave in 17. Right. And, okay. um, you know, we, uh, I went and met with Mr. Glass <clears throat> at his house in, in Bentonville, Rogers, actually. And uh, we sat together. We spent uh, a day and a half together, and uh, we talked about everything almost except baseball. And uh, it was very clear that, um, you know, he wanted me here and wanted me to stay. Right. Um, And I told him, I said, Mr. Glass, as long as you want me here, because you were so patient with me, 
and you've been so supportive of me and my family and our baseball operations group, and you and you did everything you said you would do. As long as you want, I, I will never ever leave Kansas. Mm-hmm. I don't want to leave the city. I don't want to leave the community. Um, and um, you know, I want to continue to honor you. And then obviously his life changed as well. Yeah, right. And that's 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 the way you know that's that's. It's, it's something what happens. Right. And obviously, all the things you're talking about about Kansas City, that's why we're here yeah. for all practical purposes. Uh, we're just There's just something about Kansas City, and you have then turned that into seeing the major leagues. Explain what that mentoring program is and how wonderful that is. We were uh, just there recently yeah, uh, for, that, for the event. Yeah. Uh, anytime. You know that. Anytime for me. And uh, – uh, and, and my wife and just very, very impressed. Yeah. It's, just, it's just an impressive organization and the things you've done. But you are turning this into there's just something about Kansas City and, yeah. and you're wanting to, to help people that, that could use some help. So. Well, it is. And, the, you know, we first um, we started the Seeing the Major Leagues Foundation. Really, we had four pillars. We wanted to support uh, education, family in crisis, youth sports, and faith-based organizations and events, okay? And then and then it kind of uh, developed into this mentoring program that Matt Folks uh, directs mm-hmm. for us. And, uh, you know, we have 20 kids in the mentoring program right now. It's our fifth year doing it. Um, 16 of those kids have went on to graduate. So we have 16 uh, college students. We've got great partner with 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 colleges in our in our community like mm-hmm. Avila and Benedictine and Mid America Nazarene and and, uh, and and some others that uh, have been very uh, Rockhurst and others that have been very supportive of us. So William Jewell, that will provide uh, you know scholarships for our students that graduate. We're we're constantly raising scholarships uh, money for them and. And, and we really try to just raise them and expose them to things that we'd want our own children to be a part of. Right. And, um, um, you know, the mentors have, have done a terrific job, you know, with, uh, with our students. And uh, most of these kids are, you know, it's, you know, we, we all need mentoring. It doesn't matter if you come from a disadvantaged area of our community or not. It doesn't matter if you have two parents in the home or you have a single parent. Right. And, um, you know, we, and we've got mix, right? right. And so, no, not everything in the suburbs right. is perfect. That's right. Exactly. And so we, we try to we try to be, get a very diverse group together and we do life together. And, and um, you know, we, we're, we're, we're looking to expand over the next four to five years where we want to take this program, expand maybe to – to 40 to 60 to 80 maybe up to 100 students we'd like to take it to different parts of kansas and missouri you know this model that we're doing because mm-hmm. it's working and um it's it, it, it's not rocket science it's just like it's, it's basically just showing up and letting someone know you care about what they're going right. through in life and you exactly. just you become friends and and you, you do life together how would someone try to get their child involved well, or that th- would need a mentor. See the, see the major leagues dot org. Okay, um, and that is C the, yeah, the letter C, C. Yeah, in the majors. Yeah, yeah dot org, and then uh, contact Matt Folks, and um, and then the other thing that we're doing, uh, you know, we we partner with the Jewish Community Center, and we run our baseball camps, and right. uh, we're looking to expand. Uh, to the you know do baseball camps, seeing the major leagues baseball camps. You know before before the Urban Youth Academy came involved, we were in the process of doing the seeing the major leagues baseball academy, and the spirit of that was how do we come alongside of young baseball players and families who can't afford travel ball? How do we subsidize yes. that? 
And, uh, and then I was approached um, by the folks that do the Urban Youth Academies out in Compton, when I was out in Compton, California. And they said, would you guys like an Urban Youth Academy here in Kansas City? And I said, yeah, we'd love to have an Urban Youth Academy here in Kansas City. How do we go about doing that? And so we put, a lot, we put off the, the C in the Major Leagues mm-hmm. Baseball Academy, and we focused on the Urban Youth Academy. And, and uh, you know, Mr. Glass was very supportive of that. Uh, Kyle Venna, who worked in our front office at the time, uh, and I went to work, and we ended up raising, you know, $21 million to, to get that uh, facility built in Kansas City. Yeah, off the ground. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Generous, generous group of people here in Kansas City got that done. For and, first, and a lot of our players pitched in, too. I mean, Salvi, Alex Gordon, Chris Young, Mike Moustakas, Hosmer, Whit Merrifield, and others all donated uh, a, a huge amounts yeah. of money to, to get that thing built. Yeah, I'll, I think they all enjoyed it here, too. Yeah. You know what I mean? They were – this was – part of their time be part of their legacy that's right you know because i don't think i'm not sure any of them have gone have any of them gone on to win a world series since they left no i don't think they have playoffs but yeah they they haven't made the world series so that that memory will be that is indelible and you're a christian guy i know i've known that for from the beginning I always have to watch myself around you sometimes i always oh there's dayton no No, i know you you've you've never been like that but uh but it's uh, you wear it on your sleeve, which yeah. is great, and that's the part of the CU in the major leagues yeah. is, is is all faith based. Yeah, it's faith based. Faith based. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But you know what? I mean, the great thing about you know, like I've said before, I'm very I'm a follower of Jesus, and the yeah. thing I love about Jesus is he's not he's not looking at us in a judgmental way, and I right. make I make more mistakes than than everybody combined on a, every given day, and I'm just thankful that I have that relationship that allows me. Not to it, it tells me not to judge you, judge another person, right, right. come alongside of them in a non-judgmental way, just love on people, and that's all we've we've ever tried to do. I'm not perfect at it. Yeah, um, I try to settle disputes quickly with people. Some days, some days I do, some days I don't. Sometimes um, you yell on the phone. Or yeah, some guy yeah, told you right. you just had a great and, year and, too. And, and, in the world and the staff, the staff that I work with knows my flaws and. Um, you know, I've got a little potty mouth at times as well that I'm working on and I'm in process. And so I think a lot of people, you know, they, they look at someone with who has a faith walk in and uh, they think that they've got to be, well, I'm far from perfect. You're right. And, right. you know, I'm a, I'm a sinner saved by grace. And, and uh, yeah. that's, that's just, uh, you know, how I view life. And it's been very, it's been, it's been free, free. It's freed me up. Just, yeah. uh, hey, I make mistakes like everybody else. I'm not perfect. I'm just trying to, to get it right. I want to be a husband. I want to be a father. Uh, you know, uh, those are the most important responsibilities. Yeah. I want to be a good teammate. I want to be a good citizen of our community. And, um, you know, as long as I'm here. Yeah, right. That's a life-work balance thing that, yeah. uh, that everybody tries to achieve in life. But you seem to uh, – I know you work on it every day, but uh, it, it seems to work. Tell us a little bit about the kids. You know, they're they're doing great. It's um, – it's a wonderful blessing. Ashley, our oldest, uh, she's 27. She's a full-time missionary in the country of Panama. She's also a nurse. Doing and, her dad's work a well, little bit. Yeah, mm-hmm. and she's, uh, she does medical missions throughout Latin America. She's part of a, uh, a church plant there that's a growing church in a, uh, a community called Costa Verde, which is about a half an hour outside of Panama City, mm-hmm. a, a newly developed community. Uh, Avery Jane, our middle, just graduated from K-State last uh, spring and uh you know she's you know in the workforce and and uh she's still living at home making some money and uh we love having her around and then our son robert's 21 and you know he's trying to make his way in baseball yeah he's he's with the brewers in the minor leagues had a great time at university of arkansas you know graduated early and and uh put himself in the draft and Mm -hmm. came out as a sophomore and and uh he's (laughs) 
he's loving what he's doing. He's, he's loving what he's yeah. doing. Yeah. yeah. Everybody's, so uh, everybody's following good. along. Yeah. I want to thank you for coming. No, in today. Thank you, Frank. Just, you're uh, a good man. Just I appreciate wonderful. you. Thanks Were for you? always being so kind to me. Well, you're a good man. And uh, you know what? There's just something about KC, my friend. There you go. Uh, uh, that's important. There you go. You're a big part of it. Thanks for coming Thanks, in. Thanks, man. All right. Appreciate Date it. Date more okay. on our conversation today. Just something about Kansas City.